This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom. <laughs> Shalom and welcome to Asia Torah's uh, Practical Spirituality course. Um, here we are in the Holy City of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount, which everyone else thinks is a selfie uh, opportunity, otherwise known as the Kotel. But if you don't mind, I'll focus on the Temple Mount, where the service took place. And uh, today I brought a little green. <laughs> and this is sage, and we're going to be, we're going to all be making a blessing on this sage. Anyone can smell it yet over there? You smell it? It's pretty potent, right? Pretty intense. Sage, there's lots of kinds of sage. Um, Native Americans would use sage for some of their ceremonial rites, and uh, generally using it for spiritual cleansing. And... Uh, but what's amazing is Israeli sage is the sweetest sage in the world. It is so sweet. So when you burn this sage, this is, this is still moist, so we can't really burn it. I mean, we could try. But, it's, but we're going to actually smell it with blessings. So just to catch everyone up who missed yesterday, we're going to do this as quickly as possible. Um, we're going to start with the word uh, bar- Oh, man. Green, green, yeah, I remember a green, it's a green. Green. Baruch. Here we go. Just gonna flip this around. How do I do that? Uh, screen to there, everyone wave. Say hi. Once you write on the board, it goes, it gets mirrored, so I have to flip it so they can see. I'm good? Yeah. Adjust down and like left a little bit. Yeah, like that. How's that? Okay, Baruch. Yeah, Baruch. Everyone say Baruch. Baruch. Okay, now we're going to say it together meditatively. Inhale. Baruch. Don't forget the Chaf at the end. So every word we'll be saying throughout this meditation will be uh, the whole exhale. It will be the word, the whole exhale. So we're going to keep with our ooh for Baruch and Ata, okay? Every word. Um, the word Baruch connects to, it's the root is Bet Resh Chaf. Bet Resh Chaf has many meanings. One of them is knees, okay? Which means that the word Baruch lowers your stature, like you look at my height right now, and then I bend my knees, I get lowered to here, which is a humbling, you know? I've, I've literally lowered myself from here to here just with... Uh, just with my knees, with the word Baruch, Baruch. And the very fact that you're even saying Baruch means you're recognizing God for something, which you sing, otherwise known as you're recognizing the source. Well, what's another word for Baruch besides knees is that it's the word for reservoir or source of sustenance, which is the word Brecha, source of sustenance. In our modern leisurely times, we call the word Brecha swimming pool, but in truth, only kings swim in pools. I mean, that you, you just don't do that with water. It's, a, it's not where you belong. You know? Throughout history, you needed pools for, you know, irrigation and drinking and cattle and like survival. So the source of sustenance is the word brecha. So it means both knees, brecha, and that God is the source of sustenance, or you could say the source of blessing. Okay source of sustenance or the source of blessing. And that's why we say Baruch means blessed. Blessed. But what it really means is 
the source of blessing. And that's Baruch. Okay, let's try it. Everyone inhale, please. Good. And then the next word is Ata. Now, Ata is, has a bit of an O uh, because there is everything in the world is expansion and contraction. And Hebrew letters also have expansion and contraction, and so do the sounds. So the sound under the A is a, called a patach, which means like a doorway. It's open, it's expansive. And then the kometz means to uh, contract. It literally means contract. And that's the, it looks like a little uh, capital T, the kometz. So let's all practice ata together. First, the word. Inhale. Ata. Excellent. Are you saying ata over there? Okay. Okay. No, someone, it wasn't you. Someone had their mouth kind of closed. So ata is more, uh, I don't know. You don't need your teeth, except for the T part. Okay. Ata means it means you, which is second person, which is pretty interesting to be calling a being that you're spending a lot of time honoring here in the second person. That's strange, first of all. And the second thing is it means essence, because I mean, you guys probably never thought about this before, but if you think about the word you, it's, it is kind of your essence, right? I mean, think about the word you. If you say to someone, would you like to go for a walk? Who is that you're going for a walk with? A bag of bones? You know, just their body? Are you going for a walk with their body? <laughs> what, if the, what if we were able to actually remove our soul from our body? And someone says, uh, can you go for a walk with me? And you're like, yeah, just one second. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, I don't know, press a button or unzip it or whatever. I don't know what you do. But you like, all your consciousness stays in the place you are. And you send your body for a walk with them. Would you... Would you ever, I mean, how would you feel to go for a walk with your friend's body, you know, while they stayed, they stayed home? <laughs> Not exactly what I was looking for, you know. I wanted, actually, I wanted you to join me. I want you there. You get that? So, so you get how you is the essence? So you means essence. That's the word you. We call God four things in a blessing. We call him you, Ata, Hashem. Elokeinu and Melech. We call him a king. Four things. And the Kabbalists say, which one's the holiest? The, uh, the you. Atah's the highest. Atah's the holiest because it's the essence. Is it knowable? Is God's essence knowable? Uh, completely and utterly unknowable. And it's one of those only things that you'll never know that you'll enjoy studying the whole time. Which makes no sense. Think about it. Anything you've ever studied, it was to know it. And the pleasure was not the studying. The pleasure was knowing it. So here, you never know it, and the pleasure is studying it. Like, figure that out. Meaning, everything you've ever studied to know, the pain was the study, and then the knowing was the pleasure. Here, the, you'll never know, so, and the pleasure is the study. You never even get it. You'll never know who God is, which is wild. And I'll tell you another thing about it is that while everything else you can get, but then it has law of diminishing returns, meaning when you finally get that aha moment, it's not the same a week later. Whereas with God, you never get it. So you, you never, you, there's no diminishing returns. You get that? So my search for God, which I'm continually on, I'll never stop because it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And 
I'm the, the further you get, the more nowhere you are, which is kind of interesting. But, the, but that search has, has ignited close to three decades now of inspiration. Well, you know, if you just speak totally utilitarian, if you could have 30 years of inspiration searching for something that some, I understand some people believe doesn't exist. There's such things as atheists. And nihilists, like they believe it doesn't exist. But if 30 years of inspiration, searching for the non-existent, according to them, or according to us, searching for the source of reality, from a utilitarian perspective, I won. I won. I've had an extremely inspiring life. And it led me also to have children, because... Because it's the first commandment in the entire book of the Torah. And I guess God figured when you'd read that one, you'd keep reading. And, you know, you have kids, and next thing you know, you got, like, a rich life. Wow. How'd that happen? You know, a rich life. So, like, it's been really good for me to start searching in a big way. Uh, It took me, unfortunately, 12 years to uh, even get to Israel. So a lot of that search was kind of searching for sand in my belly button after surf sessions but the uh but it was you know i mean a lot of the search was a bit inane um and led me nowhere but at one point you know what i did this crazy thing is i actually went i was an actual student i left school at 11 but i thought what if i missed it and it was in academia so i actually went into classes and i i basically I mean, a little strange thing to do for an 11, a fifth grade dropout. But I went to graduate, I went to graduate study, it was only graduates level, PhD study, of philosophy in university for an entire year. <laughs> and I even took the exams, even though I wasn't really enrolled. And, uh, and I got straight A's the entire year in graduate philosophy department. Uh, it was an interesting year. And guess what? The top, I'll save you all a trip to philosophy department in case any of you want to avoid it, which I highly suggest, is um, the top of it is called, I mean, it might be different now. We're talking about 30 years ago, but the, the top of it was called deconstructionism. Deconstructionism is where you deconstruct the meaning of all things. It's connected to existentialism where you make up existence, meaning you make up the meaning. There is no meaning. You deconstruct. You know, at one point, our my job was to, I had to, Write, I had to write a, a treatment of Moby Dick, which was written by uh, Mary Shelley, was it? I, who wrote it? Yeah. So I had to write, a, you know, like a paper on Moby Dick from a, from a uh, m- m- lesbian midget black woman perspective that she was the author. And... You know, I, I, thank God I wasn't enrolled because, like, halfway through that paper, I was like, come on, man. Like, the poor guy wrote the book. You know, like, he's allowed to have some meaning. In You know, he's the author. And why do we have to strip the meaning away from the author of a book? Like, you want to strip other meaning away? Like, cool. That's exciting. But why, can I, why can't we just let Mary Shelley tell us a story the way he saw it? Understand? Anyway, that's my own gripe with that. But, but... It was, it was an amazing year, and I got to the top of their studies, and the top of their studies was that you deconstruct the meaning of existence, basically. Everything's meaningless, and you make your meaning. So I left there going, okay, <laughs> you know, like, meaningless is cute for, like, about a week. But, you know, okay, so why don't I just, like, fly my car off some California cliff 
you know, like, like it just is meaningless. It would, that would be meaningless too, by the way. And deep in my heart, and I followed that feeling, is that it's not meaningless. Deep in my heart, I just felt it. I couldn't explain it. Something deep down said, if it's meaningless, this is really... I was going to say, this sucks. I'm just going to say, if it's really meaningless, this sucks. But if it possibly has a meaning, how could I ever stop short of finding it? How could I ever stop short? Now, I didn't know exactly where to look, but I really didn't. And But I, I just had a miracle. My father's business went bankrupt, and I got a free ticket to Israel and on one of these, you know, birthright-style things. And I just picked the brains of the rabbis, and, and it was... I'm still doing it. I'm still picking the brains of the rabbis. And even last night, I got to sit next to an incredible sage and... and uh, yeah, it wasn't brain picking time because it was a it, he was hosting an occasion, but I did get to sit next to him and I learned the majority of my tour from. Him. Sometimes I think I should hand him my salary because everything I ever say is from him, and he's like he's a six foot five, only sleeps two hours a day for the last forty years, only eats what keeps his body alive, and and I still in all the years I've known him now, which is over two decades, I've still never seen him eat a meal that any normal human being would call food because he, he literally just sustains his body's life and, and he spends all those 22 hours a day in the pursuit of truth and like discovery and no one really knows where he goes no one really knows and, uh, and, but I found him I found this I, I'm here like almost three decades but I found him like two decades ago and I, have, I haven't left his side since and what's really cool, he's from Denver, Colorado, and is like camped out in the woods and like speaks perfect English and son of a brain surgeon and uh, something worth something worth checking out. By the way, I go on Thursday nights. I don't. Yeah, but you know what I realized? I don't think I'm, a bunch of guys are going to jump my van. But tomorrow night's meditation. I'm doing once in a while. I do like a twelve-hour session. I'm cleansing all week for it. So. So I think I'm doing an all-night meditation tomorrow night. No, I have a little place I go, <laughs> and that's just where I'll, I'll be. Because I'm doing a, I'm, I'm, I have a company that runs seminars in personal transformation, and you have to like literally cry your guts out. So I mean, how would you feel running a room that has 40 adult men or 40 adult women who you can't even scrape them off the ground with a spatula? They're sobbing so intensely for hours. And we're meeting every day for four days, six hours a day. So you understand why I'm going into solitude before I fly. I fly Saturday night. So I've got to just like, I'm going to be kind of holding that space or a really conduit to the space. And, and so Thursday night's not going to be at the rabbi. Um, please, everyone, be in touch with me because maybe I'll go to the rabbi. <laughs> Gesundheit. Maybe I'll go to him for like an hour. Maybe I'll go to him for like an hour and you can jump in my van. We'll go out to the mountains. He lives right outside Jerusalem. And we could go out there for an hour. Maybe. Okay. <coughs> okay, so Atta is you. And now, what about the second person of Atta? What about that second person? So it's chutzpah. It's chutzpah, the second person, because who are you to call God in the second person? A king is your highness... A judge is your honor. 
God is you. It's chutzpah. It's not nice. But why do we do it? How do we do it? And the answer is, is when you lower your body, what rises? Soul. When the body, when the ego goes down, the soul ascends. And your soul and God are one. You are contemporaries. Just like judges playing tennis do not call each other your honor. They call each other you because you're contemporaries. So you're a contemporary of God. How could you be a contemporary of God? The answer is Baruch. Baruch is the key that opens the door to you and God being contemporaries. It lowers your ego and rises the soul. The soul ascends, and that's one with God. Now your essence and God's essence. Now you've come to your essence and God's come to his essence. And, or you're recognizing God's essence, and that's one. Because your essence and God's essence is the same, ultimately. And so that's why you can call God the second person. That's why you can call God you. We're going to move a little bit faster. Um, Hashem, which is... Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do... I'm not going to be able to go deep here. Maybe uh, tomorrow. But we're just going to call this surrounding space and time. And then we've got the word Elokeinu. I'm going to use a K. Elokeinu, which means feeling space and time. Feeling space and time. Because think about it, guys. God... Would I, go lower? Sorry. I mean, thank you. Um, so, feeling space and time. Think about it. God didn't... God didn't go to Home Depot to create the world. There's no Costco in heaven, I hate to tell you. You know, if all there was was God, meaning if all there was was nothing, which is more or less all there was was God, which is not a thing, this is a thing, God is not a thing. So if all there was was God, what did God use to create the world? If all there was was God, if all there was, I'll, I'll help you. Sorry to put a gender on there, but there's a reason mystically why. If all there was was himself, what did God use to create the world? Himself. So that's a name, Elokeinu. Have you ever noticed there's two names of God every time we make a bracha? Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu, which means how God fills space and time. Okay? Now the next is amazing, is the word Melech, because there's many words for leader in Hebrew. And when you're a light into the nations, you wind up with a lot of words for leader. So we have a lot of words. One of them is Melech, of so many words. And Melech's a really cool word, because Melech is a kind of king that a lot of us from democracies wouldn't, you know, we're not used to this kind of thing, but it's a kind of king that gives space. Like, yes, I'm the king, and yes, you can enjoy. Like, I'm the king. Go grow your garden and make it beautiful. That's the type of thing. It's like, uh, it's like he's a very relaxed king in that every, all of us were born like fish. With, that All of us were born with hooks already in our mouth. Like, you imagine being a fish born with a hook in your mouth? So that means no matter how far away you run away from the king, he's chill because he's, he's going to reel you in. So, like, you can just go do your thing. And so, but meanwhile, it was the king. So you got a hook in your mouth because there's a king of the universe. Now, smart people hang around the boat of the fisherman. I Meaning, a smart person is going to spend all his time near the boat. Like, this, we got a yeshiva boy here who's coming to age tour a little bit. Don't worry, I won't film you. And uh, so, so the uh, so you're basically spending your time around the boat. I'm not sure you enjoy that, 
and maybe you like to see, there's certain people are a little more open and want to like swim a bit away just to get a kind of a perspective of their lives, you know, because when you're raised totally in yeshiva, it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to feel the richness of it because you don't have the perspective. But so, but there's people who just want to swim as far from the boat as possible. And like an atheist is like swimming away from the boat. And God's, you think God's like working up a sweat over that? You think God sweats over atheists swimming as fast as they, they, this fish got a jet ski. I mean, they're going as fast as they can, the opposite direction of the boat. Do you think God ever like, ever gets a, how do you say, gets a sweat? Works up a sweat, uh, whatever. (laughs) No one's helping me today, okay. So, God doesn't, God's chill, the hook's in the mouth. We're all getting reeled in at the end of our lives. And, and by the way, the atheists might fend better than a lot of us because uh, we're all doing with the best we got and uh, those of us who got God are already part of the hard drive. So we're held to a different standard than a guy who doesn't believe in God at all. So, you know, on the other hand, there are some who say that the basic thing is, is you get what you believe. So if you don't believe, you're in trouble. So yeah, people do say that. Um, but my, my sense, not that I, I mean, you don't have to trust my sense, but my sense is that is that God's a much bigger fan than that. So he, I think God loves atheists, actually. And especially because atheists speak so terribly about religion, and I think God hates religion, personally. I think, I think that the, some of the worst atrocities in all of history took place because of dogmatic religions who, <laughs> I guess what they got written inside their religions isn't good enough, so they have to start pulling out knives and stuff. Like, Judaism, like, we, we believe this book will do the trick, no police necessary. Like, you will actually... You will actually enforce it by yourself. If you just open that book and let it blow your mind, you'll do all your own enforcing. You know, but you've got to wonder about a religion that has to pull out machetes. You know, if, if the book can't speak for itself, I mean, in the end, all we know is humanity has free will. Well, if you have a doctrine that requires force, you've got a problem. You, got, you, you understand? You, 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 that's not true. It, it doesn't ring true. Whatever you're trying to impress upon the world has to speak for itself. And it is kind of funny that we're like the worst spokesmen for Torah. Like, we're terrible spokesmen. You come to our classes, no one ever talks about the afterlife. Every other tradition in the world, the first thing you hear about is the afterlife. And how are they supposed to hook you in without scaring the crap out of you that you're going to go to hell forever? So they, they just go right to it. They just start the class with that. To tell, to know about it, yeah. yeah. No one knows about it. This is, uh, this. It's not even conjectured to me. It's made up the whole thing, because you have to die to know about this stuff. So how in the world are we supposed to trust them? And you look Judaism, where we have prophecy, like we actually had prophets for hundreds of years of a full prophetic, more than hundreds of years, really over a thousand years of a full prophetic tradition, and we still don't talk about the next world. And we, if anyone should have the chutzpah to start talking about the next world, it should have been us. But you could be in this place or any other yeshiva for, for decades and no one's going to teach a class in the next world. Because we don't know. And we're humble enough to tell you that. We don't know. We know there is one. We know the soul. How do you kill a soul anyway? What do you use? How many souls were killed in the Holocaust? Zero. How do you kill a soul? It doesn't... It's not mortal. It's not mortal. That consciousness that is you, your essence not mortal 
What is mortal is your brain constantly hijacking it and making you think you're a body with the help of billions of dollars of marketing convincing you that you're ugly and fat. Thanks, Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the... Uh, you're, you're a soul and you're eternal and your consciousness is that soul. And once in a while someone comes in this class and says, Rabbi, how do I know I have a soul? I'm like, well, let's first define the word I. You used it twice in that sentence. So why don't you tell me what this consciousness that you've been calling I as if it totally exists and asking me if I have a soul. How do I know I have a soul? Well, who is the I that's asking the question? Because you already used it twice in the sentence. Let's define the terms here. So then they start getting stuck, because well, what is I? Certainly not the bag of bones that walks around this place. <laughs> so, okay, so, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu. Melech is the king, he is the king. But a king who gives you a lot of slack. A lot of slack, and that's why the next word is Ha'olam. I'm going to write these up here. Melech is the king I described, and then Ha'olam means the world, the world, or the universe, king of the universe, right? But the, but think about it, what is the word, what is the root, Olam, Ayin, Lam, and Mem, what does it mean? What's it mean? Hidden. Hidden, excellent, thank you for joining our class. The word Olam means hidden, and the word Olam also means World. The same word for world is the same word for hidden. World isn't hidden. The world isn't hidden. Why? You, why how can Judaism have the same name for word, sorry, world, as it has for hidden? If anything's hidden, it's the spiritual world. It's our world that's revealed, isn't it? No. Judaism tells you that the world is hidden. What's hidden about the world is that how can God create the world out of himself without hiding so the only way you can have a world is with the hiding of the spiritual. The spiritual world has to hide behind the physical world. This world you see around you is the outer crust of an incredible realm. And God's the king of this realm. The whole thing, both the hidden and the revealed, meaning the spiritual realm and this outer crust realm. God is the king of that realm. But what does God do? God, For you to exist physically, he must remove himself, so to speak, because everything's really made of God. So, as we spoke about before with Elokeinu, filling creation. So everything's made of God, but he, so to speak, hides himself. So he's the hidden king. God is the hidden king. And now, imagine a king who was like, kind of a depressed king, because you know what? He got tired of being king. He just wants some friends. So you know what he says to his, uh, his, uh, he says to his advisors? You know, I just got a great idea. Bring up makeup artists and costume people, and I'm going to actually dress like one of the paupers of the, of the town, and I'm just going to go to my own party. And they're like, but you have to greet the people at the party. Like halfway through the party, you arrive. And like, okay, so someone should tap me on the shoulder, and I'll go backstage and get back on my king stuff. I'll wash up all the makeup, and I'll, be, I'll arrive at my party. And so, you know, finishing statements here. The... Um, and so the king goes out to the party and he, he's like milling around the party. He's kind of excited, like he's going to actually meet some of the people around his kingdom. So he goes to the bar, he sees all these people are like drunk. 
and there's one guy who's like got everyone rolling and he's like you know he sees the, this guy now pulled up next to him so he puts his arm around him and he's like leaning on him and he's like that king's an idiot and everyone's like yeah you know and he's just talking badly about the king one thing after the other after the other and everyone's cheering they're all smashed drunk cheering and cheering and then he's like oh my gosh like what and then he goes to the he goes to the buffet and he finds this guy like stuffing little mini sandwiches into his robe and stuff. But then after he stuffed enough sandwiches off this little tray, he stuffed the tray in his robe, silver tray. He's like, I'll kill him. And he looks at the guy, he's like, don't you realize this is the king's tray and food? And, and the guy says, who cares about the king? And he didn't see anyway. So forget about it. You know? And now the king's just like, uh. And it just keeps going like this until someone finally taps on the shoulder and says, you got to greet your guest. He's like, greet my guest. I want to kill my guest. So he goes backstage. He comes in. You know, it's Rosh Hashanah. Everyone just bows down like, you know, bow before the king. You know, and everyone's on their faces. The drunk guy lifts up and says, long live the king. And everyone yells, long live the king. How many people have gone to Rosh Hashanah fashion shows? where we all show up as if the king has anything to do with our lives. The hidden king. I mean, maybe we could complain, like, why do you got to hide that much? And the answer is, he doesn't hide that much. You're thick. When, any, when anyone comes there and tells, starts complaining about how hidden God is, you know, if God would just show himself a little better, maybe I'd start keeping Shabbos. I'm like, why don't you start working on yourself spiritually? Instead of, instead of coming from your, from your little four-inch iPhone, iPhone brain clamp and come in here and start telling me how God's got to show himself more? How about you show yourself more instead of your more of your body, which you think is you. Develop yourself spiritually. Become someone who's a bit of a spiritual warrior. And you'll start seeing how thin the veil is. It's not thick. It's very thin. What's thick is you. Develop yourself spiritually. Time for the blessing. <laughs> Here we go. Quick before the rabbi comes back and throws me out of his face. Uh, everyone take a little sage. Pass it. Pass it. Pass it. Take some sage. Take some sage. Everyone should get at least a leaf. Sage. Sage. Pass sage. Pass sage. Two leaves. Need another. One more. Okay, everyone should have a leaf. Guys, make sure you don't have more than one leaf. Because we need enough for everybody. There's a couple leaves here. Okay, ready? We're gonna make a blessing on the stage. Oh yeah, maybe after. Uh, how are we doing, everybody? You got a leaf yet? Everyone's got a leaf. Yeah, try not to keep it away from you. Because you're making a blessing over the smell. Here we go. By the way, the blessing's going to be beret atse. Anything made of wood is it gets eights. Beret atse bisumim. Everyone practice that. Beret atse bisumim. Now normally bisumim. Again, beret atse bisumim. 
We're gonna do one breath per word, and I, normally you close your eyes for the till ha olam, and then you look. But in this case, because we did these meanings, let's keep our eyes open, and I will point. You ready? Okay. And if you're watching this in uh, wherever land, grab some something spicy. Okay. <laughs> ready? Here we go. Inhale. Bahu. Please put away your leaf for later. You'll practice later. There's a big time Aish tunnel tour with one of the greatest tunnel tour guides in the world, Rabbi Ellis. And he's in the room in the back. It's now, right? It's already late, right? We're starting 10 minutes ago. Anyone wants to come? It's a tunnel tour. How much does it cost? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.